Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Call our guest line at any time during the live show at area code 646-727-3235. And let's talk about wine. Again, the phone number to call is 646-727-3235. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. May 24, 2018. So if you want to call in, you can call in now. But if you listen to this on archives, don't. We won't answer. <laughs> nope. <laughs> somebody will, but it won't be us. I don't know who will. Yeah, maybe. Maybe somebody will. I don't know. You notice they say blog talk radio. The little, our, our friendly little girl comes in and says blog talk radio at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It didn't used to do that. That's something that they've added. Oh. I didn't notice that. You notice? Maybe maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, put that in there and let people know, I guess, because it is blog talk. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to check about advertisements, too. I might I, I check into seeing about advertisements and what they can do and all that stuff. That's that's another project that I got on the burner there. So, yeah. so we got luck. Um, here we are. Here we are. Mike's back with us. He's, he's doing better and uh, yep. able to walk and function and get back to <laughs> unicycles and juggling and all that. So. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, rejoining the circus. Yes, yes. <laughs> and if you haven't listened to his program, he's back on his radio program, too, oh. uh, from Spotify uh, <clears throat> on Thursday. So you can enjoy two hours of him and music and requests and all sorts of fun before you listen to All About Wine. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, it was uh, pretty interesting. Had all kinds of, I, I can see on a map where everybody is listening from, and it was just like, wow, that's, that's amazing. U.S. Really? there a little bit. Yeah, and then there's South Africa, Germany, Denmark, or uh, not Denmark, what's that? Great Britain. Um, I could have been, you know what? I was probably playing to the royal family today, and I didn't even know it. You could have, <laughs> yes. yes. I doubt it. And uh, yeah, just uh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I wish we had that kind of statistics here, so we could go. Oh, well, you know. I mean, well, I guess we get them yeah, afterwards, but yeah, yeah. But during the show, it'd be fun to see where. Yeah. No, no. But yeah. thanks for listening anyway. We don't have a map. Yeah, thank you. But... No. <laughs> um, we have we have no idea actually during the show. No, no idea. <laughs> I just uh, welcome to Cast Experience Chrome. No, I don't want to cast it. I, something just popped up on my screen here. I have no idea why. But, yeah, I just X'd it out. Uh, 
yeah, we, we don't know who's listening and who isn't, but we do appreciate because we see numbers and you guys are out there. And oh, yeah, you're listening to archives and lives and stuff, and cool. Mm-hmm. So, that is thanks. That's awesome. So, <sighs> today, today <clears throat> is Red Nose Day. That's right. Red Nose Day. Red, red Nose Day is a day that you wear red noses and i always get my red nose every year uh walgreens sells them they're a buck you snap it on your nose you walk around with a clown who forgot all the makeup except for the nose and uh it actually the purpose of it is to make people aware of feeding children around the world so there's going to be a special on tv tonight uh I think it's a telethon or something. So uh, to raise money to feed kids. So check it out or, you know, do a pledge of a few dollars or something, but every, every little bit helps. But red nose day, it's, it is a good deal. They've been doing it. I don't know what, three years now, three or four years now. So it's becoming a, a thing. So if you have your red nose, it's great. If you don't, then, uh, Tune into the TV tonight, and I don't know what channel, but uh, they're doing Red Nose thing. And if you're listening to this on archive, you can always do it later too. I think the Red Nose site's open afterwards. So, and it's like um, a 1988 Red Nose Day was first, was first started in the UK in oh, 1988, okay. and it's oh. been held every two years in the UK. That's interesting. But uh, here it is something else. Uh, I just all of a sudden I lost my place. Okay, so anyway. NBC. Yeah. Looks like it. I I didn't know that. I it just I know it's been going on here in the States for at least at least four years, but I yeah. you know, and that's what I was based on. I didn't know it was in the UK and it started there. Wow. I didn't either. Yeah, I didn't either. I saw UK, I go, Why are they covering, you know, from nineteen eighty <laughs> okay. Wow. Well, good for them for thinking of that. And uh, the United States has picked it up and embraced it. The telethon's got a lot of celebrities and stuff on there. A lot of people uh, get on there and, you know, beg for your money. But, uh, yeah, I think the telethon's uh, two hours, maybe just an hour. I don't know. But uh, uh, it's a good deal. It's a good deal. I always buy my red nose and support that thing every year. So uh, if you're into it, do it. And I think they help kids all over the world, too. I don't think it's just one country, but they do as much as they can everywhere. So it's not like, you know, we're going to help the kids in one place and that's it. It's, it's all over. So, And another thing, tomorrow is Poppy Day, Red Poppy Day. This was started back in 1918. Uh, or 19, yeah, 1918, uh, a British doctor gave a eulogy for his deceased friend, his friend who was killed during the war, and he mentioned something about the, the red fields of poppies and flounders, red fields of poppy. I don't have the, the story in front of me. I wish I did. But a lady picked it up. She went out and she thought that was great. Did some poppies. 
uh, sold the first one. Some businessman saw her poppy and says, here, here's $10, you know, get one for all of us. And so she did, which was the first donation. But now it continues to be a big thing. The American Legion picked it up. The Women's Auxiliary of the American Legion picked it up. And the red poppy thing is is all over the country, all over the world now. You can uh, red poppy day tomorrow. It's always the uh, Friday before Memorial Day, which is coming up Monday, by the way. But it's always the Friday before Memorial Day, red poppy day. And it honors uh, those fallen soldiers and uh, ones who have uh, died in battle and stuff. So if you don't have it, I've gotten poppies. I, I get it every year. I'm an American Legion member, and I get it every year. I've got poppies hanging up on the little lamp that I have. Uh, and I've been, like I say, for years. I've gone going back to like 2001, I think, uh, or 1999, somewhere around there. Uh, I keep getting the poppies. So Red Poppy Day uh, is tomorrow. And so you can check that out, too. That's uh, on the Internet also. It's just uh, com- uh, remembering our fallen and lost military personnel during times of war. So that's coming up tomorrow. And then Memorial Day Monday. Uh, Memorial Day is a, uh, a celebration of not just the first of summer, but of... Uh, the uh, honoring the the dead, those who sacrificed for the war. So that's what that is. So enough of that. Uh, trivia. Oh, there's eight of them still. We run outside the door thing. Um, trivia. Next little trivia: Cabernet Sauvignon. It's full body dry red wine. It is uh, not everything is complex and intense. Uh, a wine that possesses these traits is pretty irresistible, and Cabernet Sauvignon tends to do that. Uh, rich, very flavorous, uh, plush texture, uh, nice, slow finish, uh, great with uh, lamb chops, thick sirloin steak, and other heavy foods. Now that's the Cabernet Sauvignon you're getting that has some depth in it. You can get cheap ones, but if you're going to have steaks and stuff, spring for the extra and get those those full-bodied ones. Those are great with the uh, all the goodies in it. So, a little bit of trivia. Now, today is the 24th. Today is National Escargot Day. You have not had uh, your escargot today, today do so. Tomorrow, now this is important here, everyone, make note. Tomorrow is National Wine Day. Yay! Where is the needle? National Wine Day. So that's tomorrow. And National Brown Bag Day, too. So you can... Get your wine and throw it in a brown bag and drink it all day. Saturday, National Blueberry Cheesecake Day and National Cherry Dessert Day. So you can throw your cherries on top of a cheesecake. So you can have yourself Blueberry Cheesecake Day and National Cherry Dessert Day. Sunday, 
Italian Beef Day. Hmm. I wonder if that would be Italian meatballs or something, but Italian Meat Day. Monday Memorial Day, like I mentioned, and that is also National Hamburger Day, which seems to fit quite well with the uh, beginning of summer. Uh, Memorial Day is always celebrated as the beginning of summer. National Brisket Day is also Monday. So if you don't want to do the hamburger, you can do a nice brisket. Monday, National Biscuit Day. Add a little bit of gravy to that. You've got yourself a, a great meal. That's Tuesday. Wednesday, National Mint Julep Day. Not a good day to have wine with it, but still National Mint Julep Day. And then next Thursday, the last day of the month, we're looking at National Macaroon Day. I haven't had a good macaroon in a long time. That's something I might have to search out this week so I can enjoy it next Thursday. So there you go. That's what our food is for pairings this coming week. I enjoy them in, again, moderation, but you can try all sorts of stuff with that. Last week, I told you that I wanted to talk about, where is it there? I wanted to talk about Brett. Uh, actually, it's the Brettanomyces, B-R-E-T-T-A-N-O-M-Y-C-E-S, Brettanomyces. Brettanomyces is, is actually it's a fungus, and it could be a good fungus, it could be a bad fungus, but it's a fungus. And in wine, it's both. There is uh, flaws in wine. If you want to mention a flaw in wine, Brett, which is usually short to bread, Brett is a flaw. Uh, although some people think bread is a blessing, uh, gives you a reduction in the Chardonnay, and it does uh, an oxidative edge of barrel aging, uh, picks up the acids, and gives you more of a little acidic bite, and some drinkers like that. They like that little punch between the eyes with the acid. Um, it, a earthy aroma uh, ranging from spicy to putrid actually um, and it's probably the most polarizing if you will flaw of all the wine or of all the flaws out there uh, Brett what is Brett? Brett like I said is a yeast uh, it's uh, feeds on sugars converting them to alcohol and carbon dioxide and a range of other aromas and textures and stuff in the wine. It is a cousin of Saccharomyces, and Saccharomyces is actually sought in making wine. The dominant agent of wine fermentations is Saccharomyces, and very costly, but bread is not quite as sought after as uh, Saccharomyces. Uh, Clove, is sometimes used to describe the red aroma barnyard, band-aid, leather, uh, and even some people describe it as vomit and sewage. So bread does have its range of stuff and how it affects the wine. Uh, two yeasts uh, differ in their growth patterns. Uh, the uh, 
Saccharomyces multiplies rapidly in the must and it devours the glucose and fructose and runs out on the alcohol. Uh, and the food that it eats on runs out before the alcohol level can get really, really high. Brett, on the other hand, grows slowly, which is part of the reason why it uh, is not really noticeable several months after fermentation. And also feeds on a much wider range of stuff. Uh, residual glucose and fructose are its favorites. Uh, thus, it happily snacks on wines, unfermentable complex sugars as well as oak sugars because of this uh, used barrels uh, are actually a common source of bread new barrels uh, can support larger bredomyces populations uh, it, it just depends on how they're made and what what is done with it being a yeast, though, Brettomyces is technically a single-cell fungus. So uh, it's uh, one of the cell, uh, it goes by two scientific names, one for sexual or spore-forming version and one for the non-sexually producing form. Brettomyces is the spore-forming version. Uh, uh, is well, it's actually known as Dekera, D E K K E R A. But you, this is rare in wine. You're not going to see Dekera too often in wines. It can, but usually not. Uh, there are five known species of Dekera and an infinite number of strains. I mean, you can, uh, there's a lab, ETS Laboratories, big one in Napa Valley, has isolated at least 70 of these strains of big care and brettomyces and there's genetic variations that are always popping up this is one of the problems with the aromas you don't you can't get any particular one sometimes because it can do all sorts of other stuff uh yeah it can give you the you know the uh metabolic process uh, but basically it's shortened to 4ep and 4eg which is responsible for the scents ranging from band-aids to manure in bread and also for eg accounts for the clove and spice um, they're both coming from the polyphenols found in grape skin and it's much more common in red than in white so that's why you find a lot more bread in red wines as opposed to white wines uh, and breads, uh, red wines also tend to have higher pH and spend more time in the barrel so all of this microorganism plays a role in the fermentation and aging um, only bread is capable of synthesizing significant levels of 4EP and 4EG which gives again some good aromas and flavors if they do it right, but you can't really separate them that much. Um, a Brett-like wine is usually referred to when levels of 4EP reach uh, uh, levels of 300 to 600 micrograms per liter um, and 
or e.g., which is the bad aromas, can become volatile around 50 micrograms per liter. So it's a, a, a precarious bridge, if you will, to watch these and, and hope you get it. Um, breadiness is not only do people have different levels of sensitivity to the grapes and different levels of the of the wines, but they also have different concepts of it. Uh, the aroma wheel. You can look at that and see the bouquets of wines like Syrah, Malverde, and understand a little bit more about Brett and how it affects wines. Uh, it's uh, People who love Brett inquire about the cultivating a friendly strain and how to apply it, but a, a clean wine has everything with breath that you want. The uh, reality actually is very complicated, what you're bringing out in the, in the grape and what you can do with the grape. Uh, it's a, uh, uh, let me see, I, this is all just a bunch of stuff here that's not really about bread. Uh, there are cases in which bread lies below detectable thresholds. Uh, or in some presence in small ways that doesn't detract from the wine's overall quality. But Brett does seem to be less intrusive with grapes uh, from regions including Bordeaux and the grapes from Barbera, Sangiovese in Italy, and some old school California Cabernet. It's for some reason it's it's lacking a lot in those. Um, the bread is perfectly fine in certain parts of the world. A lot of uh, wine regions look for this little bit of flavor bite, if you will. Uh, the aroma, again, different people will pick it up and interpret it differently, but the aromas can also uh, uh, give you that little bit of barnyardiness that people find okay. They don't see a problem with that. Uh, they say that if you're going to have uh, light meals, uh, fish and delicate meals, then bread's not going to work. Stay away from a wine that might have bread because it will tend to overpower it. But uh, there is uh, really, it's hard to tell. Nothing more disappointing than open a bottle of expensive wine. And the bread is an overpowering ingredient. It's uh, really a turn off and something that you just aren't ready for. Certain wineries and certain regions uh, are associated with bread. And even pre-2000 Bordeaux's uh, have been notably consistent with bread. But some of the regions, like the Rojo region, uh, Bocastle Winery, have some of the world's most widely worshipped wines, and yet bread has likely been part of that since the dawn of the vineyards and regions. So bread's not a, it, you know, it's not good, it's not bad. I mean, I'm going to tell you all the different examples I'm not going to. Uh, 
the international style that began in the late 1990s, early 2000s, was characterized by higher alcohols and greater trash and also a good amount of new oak. And though Bretomyces is tolerant to a wide range of pH, it thrives in the lower acidity of super ripe wines. And the alcohol, elevated alcohol levels can inhibit its development. The accompanying residual sugar also causes the bread to be a powerful ingredient there. And it's compounded by the new oak. So it's it's a well after I read this article and I'm I'm condensing it a lot for you. Um after I read this article, the bottom line is, you know, most people I would think might be turned off by bread. But then again, if you bring out the certain aromas that make it good, uh, and then it's not going to be a problem at all. It's going to be something you're going to seek. If you're looking for the uh, EP, uh, what is it? Yeah, uh, four EP levels, uh, then that could be a good thing. If you're looking for, you know, for the four EG levels, not so much. It's just a matter of what you particularly want in your wine. Um, it is winemakers have try to avoid it. I, I never liked bread. I had a couple of my wines that picked up bread and I did not care for it at all in the final product. Uh, they, they call it bottle bouquet. Uh, even some people in areas other than, well, particularly Napa, called it the terror uh, of the wine, and, and which, you know, the region. But, you know, now they're looking back on it, and they think it was breath that gave it the distinct flavors and, and taste back then. It's, uh, let's see, where am I? Uh, it's uh, hard to kill, extremely hard to kill. It can lie dormant for long periods of time and and stay alive with very little or virtually impossible to eradicate from barrel uh, once it's in the wood. Uh, it, if you can smell it, it's too late. You've reached the point where you, know, you can't do anything about it. And the best way to detect is early detection because if it gets to the point where you can actually smell it, it's too late. It's going to be in your wine. Um, only way to test it was through plating or smearing your wine on some uh, agar and seeing what grows. And this wasn't foolproof because uh, bread can exist in a range of states, not all of which multiply on a culture plate. It is not always either just alive or dead. There's a continuum in between the cells, which can be viable and continue to uh, grow once it gets an opportunity. Exposure to SO2, which doesn't kill the cells, does not, uh, but does enfeeble them or does cause them to shrink, but it doesn't kill them. Then they can spring back to life and start munching their way through everything and creating the aromas and all that. So it's, it's a nasty thing. Once it's been identified in a wine, 
there, there's not a lot you can do. Prior to balling, there are, are too many opportunities for reinfection. And once it's bottled, then it will it can continue to live on some of the sugars in there. So it's a nasty thing. Uh, uh is I, I cleaned and cleaned and cleaned when I was doing the winery and making wines. So I cleaned to the point of uh, just almost obsession. Only three foolproof ways to get rid of bread. And one is pasteurization, the other is the addition of Velcroin, and the other is sterile filtration. And pasteurization obviously has this drawback because you're superheating a wine. And uh, Velcroin is also just as controversial. And uh, Velcroin is toxic to humans if consumed shortly after the application, so you have to uh, you know, let it go. But it's also Velcroin is used in for, uh, fruit juice and sports drinks uh, quite a bit in the industry. Um, it, but it only works to a point. Valkyrin is a great tool, but only guaranteed to be effective up to 500 cells per milliliter. And when you start looking at bread, that can surpass that, and they can survive. So, um, you know, it's it, it, bread absolutely can affect a white wine and just as much as it can red, not as often and not as common, but it can affect white wines. And the best way to understand that is Chardonnay. When you start getting different flavors in Chardonnay, that is red coming out of it. Uh, bone dry wines uh, will can be affected by bread. Uh, research in this case that as little as 0.5 grams per liter of residual sugar can support a population of bread. And so, you know, 0.5 grams per liter of residual sugar is low. That is a dry wine. Um, alcohol is a source of stress to bread, just like any other yeast, but it's just a little bit tougher, so it can survive better than the Saccharomyces. Sulfur dioxide does not kill it. It only weakens it. Uh, only Valkyrin, if used properly, and pasteurization can kill it. And only sterile filtration can remove it from a wine. But when you start doing a sterile filtration, you are also moving other stuff. And Brett does not diminish with time. While the aromas and the other aromatic compounds may evolve and quit with time, Brett can live in a wine bottle for an indeterminate number of years. Uh, sulfur breaks down over time, which can be sufficient to wake bread up. This is why bread blooms are more prevalent in warm places or under poor storage conditions. And the wine you drink in Miami may be widely different than the wine you drink in Stockholm if there is bread involved. So, there you go. Nasty bug. Nasty, nasty bug. It is something that... Uh, Nobody in, in the wine business really embraces, although it uh, can can be good, but not really. Not something that you really want. So there's more you want to know about bread. I saw an interesting show the other night, last night it was, on DNA. And they talked about CRISPR. And Mike and I talked about CRISPR 
actually Mike sent me a little link to it about a year ago. I've been looking around and following it and all that. Um, CRISPR has a big old long name, which I'm not a, going to attempt to pronounce, but uh, CRISPR can be used. CRISPR can be used to possibly stop phylloxera by introducing a piece of DNA by CRISPR into the grapevine, it can stop and, well, actually not stop it, but make an immunity to the grapevine. So new technology is coming, new technology is, is expanding all the time, and uh, it's uh, genome editing is what it is. Uh, suppose you can call it GMO, genetically modified organisms, but if you can save yourself a lot of money, I guess you have to label on it. This this grapevine was genetically modified so that it won't get phylloxera, then you know, would people stop buying it? I don't know. We This is something we talked about before, and I'm getting into that gray area again. So, but CRISPR, CRISPR and grapes on grapes to get it to fight other diseases, uh, including molds and stuff, a possibility for the future. Uh, and also with uh, the warming of areas in the country and around the world, it might be something that we need. Oh. Uh, Let's see, it's, what else? Oh, here you go. This is something that caught my eye. Start naming wine-growing areas around the world. Where can you get grapes? Where can you get wine? Uh, Wait a minute, let's do another quick trivia line here. Cloing, C-L-O-Y-I-N-G. Wines aren't supposed to taste like bad wedding cake or ground-up children's aspirin. For that reason, a wine with unbearable candy-like sweetness, a cloying wine, is considered flawed or at least not very good. Even dessert wines should never be so sweet that they are cloying. So you don't want super sweet. You don't want a cloying wine. You want one that is just sweet. So, and then... Before I start talking about what I just hinted at, let me give you another another bit of trivia here. Label collecting. I've mentioned before that labels are a multi-million dollar business. Um, label collecting. Remember when not so long ago, after having an especially wonderful bottle of wine in a restaurant, you asked the waiter to soak the label off for you. Today, removing a label to keep as a memento is almost impossible and collecting wine labels is no longer as proper a hobby. That's because most wine labels are now backed with a permanent type of glue and are applied to the wine bottle automatically as the bottle travels along the bottling line. These so-called 
pressure-sensitive labels are on for good, almost. Many wine accessory shops now sell large sheets of clear plastic, uh, the adhesive side of which can be pressed against the face of a label. As you pull the plastic away, the top layer of the label with its image is pulled away too. Once you trim the plastic to the label's dimensions, voila, you've got a perfect label with a clear protective covering to boot. So I've had people ask at the winery, oh, I'd say two, three times a year, people would say, I'm in such and such a place, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm ill or I just, you know, I got this illness or something like that and I'm writing wineries and seeing how many wine labels I can get different types and all that would you be willing to send me some wine labels and I'd always package up some and drop it in the mail to them and a lot of them would send a self-addressed stamped envelope which you know when they do that it was automatic I sent it back and others I would only send them two or three but you can collect wine labels that way if you're looking at but if you want to collect the ones you have drank you can always purchase those little things. They are available online and everywhere, and they do work. Or you can get the bottle itself and let it soak in water and in the sink all night long. And a lot of times the labels will just float away from the bottle. And if it doesn't, slowly peel it off. And if that doesn't work, then use your clear plastic sheet with the glue on it. All right. Mention wines from different areas of the world. You're going to talk California. You're going to talk New York, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, even China. But have you ever heard of wines from the Canary Islands? You say, what? Yes, Canary Islands. Uh, the film, the Psalm films, I don't know if you are familiar with them. There's a couple of them out there now. Um, wine master sommelier Brian McClintock has traveled the world. He was in the first Psalm movie. And he has discovered that uh, there is a great, great amount of wines and a winery in the Canary Islands. Uh, the Tenerife, I believe that's how it's pronounced, T-E-N-E-R-I-F-E, the Tenerife um, wines. Uh, the highest elevation vineyards in Europe reside on the Canary Islands. Uh, sea level, it's a sea level beach town, but in the middle of the island lives a 12,200-foot volcano. And... Uh, but it takes an hour to drive from one end to the other, a village to village. Uh, but it's through jungles and deserts and tropical beaches and mountains and just about every ecosystem that you can want by traveling from one end of the Canary Islands to the other. Uh, Spanish is the language, uh, influence of Portuguese, and it's just you know, close to Africa, stone's throw away from Africa. But it is a the Canary Islands. Uh, there's not just one. There's oh, I, six bigger ones, and I think there's a bunch of small ones. But it's just it's just off the African coast. Um, 
the runway is short and quick, and passengers always scared you're going to not make it. 300-year-old braided vines are tied together with dried banana peels, and they uh, on the cliff sides, and just it's all over the place. Uh, the Tenerife is one of seven islands. Uh, well, saying seven, I said six. Count yeah, seven. Uh, one of seven islands off the coast of Morocco, and it's the largest wine producer of the island chain, with approximately seven thousand two hundred hectares under vine. Uh, one hectare equals approximately two point five acres. So. Uh, uh, 14, yeah, that's about uh, uh, 1,900 acres. I know 19,000 acres. Um, only a few places in the world possess ancient, own rooted vines that never fell prey to, uh, prey to phylloxera. And Tenerife is one of those. Uh, it, Phylloxera destroyed 90% of the world's wine grapes, but uh, it didn't hit the Canary Islands because of the isolation of them. And so they survived without, and they are not planted on American rootstock. Uh, <laughs> I have a picture here of a vine wrapped up with a banana peel, uh, tied up with a banana peel. It's sort of weird because that's a dried banana peel. There are enough grape varieties in the Canary Islands to keep the Darwins of the world occupied. And the, the three most common is Listons. The three Listons, I'm sorry, are Liston Negro, Liston Blanco, and that's also called um, Palomino Fino. And Palomino Fino, if you're familiar with sherry, uh, that's the main grape in sherry. And then Liston Prito are the mission grape. It's uh, related to Paz. And let me check and see what Paz in Chile and uh, Argentina. Let me see Paz. I click on it and it's not giving me anything. Oh, well, I'm not going to tell you more about it. For red wine lovers, the indigenous Liston Negro is the golden child. It's uh, proliferating in Canaria uh, at large, with only a few exceptions and uh, some very special plots. It pops up everywhere. Uh, found a special, and this guy wrote this, found a, a special wine from the Orteva Valley. This is one of Tenerife's five DOs, or Dimension de Origin. And uh, let's see, if does it list it here? Yes, it does. Uh, Tenerife's on the, when you're looking at a map, it's, it's toward the left of the other islands. And it's got, uh, well, I can't read it because it won't make it bigger. No, it won't. All it does is, is uh, all right. Let's go back to 
here. Um, the first wine that uh, he tasted was from a place on the northeast part of Tenerife called uh, Taganon. And it was a blend of just about every variety that they grow there. Uh, when asked why, they said because it's delicious. So why not blend instead of uh, doing it? And he said um, instead of doing it, it's just not possible to do just one grape and get any quality. So blending is the reason. Uh, the other vineyard he visited is known as Jurassic Park. It's a Taganan vineyard. Uh, tourists flock there to take pictures uh, because of the view overlooking the uh, ocean and the hills and all that. Uh, they had to put up a sign that by the grapes that said poison because people were picking and eating the grapes. Uh, Roberto, a Tenerife native, uh, stay away from Pegan uh, saying uh, don't complicate things I'm lost on that there 65 degree pitch with no footholds and they pick the grapes by staying close to the road and tying ropes and stuff around to get up and down there is uh Variety walking through the vineyards is foraging. I, you know, this stuff. Oh, here we go. Tenerife Island. This breaks it down to the different areas. Tenerife is split into five DOs or denominated regions. They are the Ortova Valley, uh, which is a lush garden of a place comprising about 9% of the island's vine acreage which is located at uh, the top middle. The <laughs> Tocarante Asinto, well, Asintoyo, uh is another region. Uh, Yucadin Diante, Albona, and the Yumar Valley. So, I, you know, uh, these are the regions of the area that in the uh, Tenerife Island. Although Gran Canaria, La Gamora, and let me go back here. Uh, La Palma, El Hero, and La Lazarote all have grapevines planted on them and all, all make wine. So of the seven main islands of the Canary Islands, six of them are actually wine regions and great uh, vineyards. Uh, this is uh, the uh, Orteva Valley is a north-facing, but it's close to the equator. But as you get up into the mountains, it starts cooling off says every 100 meters the temperature gets cooler and the topsoil gets a little more shallow and it starts exposing the volcanic earth um, as at 1600 to 2100 feet above sea level 
they have special vineyards and it's very cool up there and it gives you a much better wine uh, from the results of it. Uh, 12% alcohol, 12.6. It still was uh, a very electric wine as told here. But areas that you never thought about, areas you never considered, and there's one of them, wines from Canary Island. Uh, if you ever find one, then give it a try. I've never had one. I didn't even know that Canary Islands made wines, but now I do. So something to check out if you're looking for wines from different parts of the world. Oh, uh, let's see. So let me, uh, let me back up on this and back up on this and go to... this. New Hampshire. New Hampshire. When I was shipping, I shipped a wine to New Hampshire and got a nasty letter from the state attorney's, uh, state's, uh, not attorney, from, uh, ah, I can't think of it now, uh, saying, don't ship to New Hampshire. We're a closed state. So I quit shipping to New Hampshire. Um, but New Hampshire is still very tight. Uh, review says shipping uh, is not allowed. You can't do it. And you've got to be careful with anything you're shipping to New Hampshire. And you've got to be sure that uh, it goes to the liquor executives uh, and they get a markup which is outrageous and all that uh, New Hampshire is just uh, ridiculous how tight they are on their shipping in and out and around the state it will change I guarantee you one of these days it will change but not for a while that's something that freethegrapes.org has been working on for a long long time it's something that uh, people have complained and griped about for a long, long time, and it's going to eventually happen, but, you know, who knows when. So, New Hampshire, if you're, if you're a New Hampshire resident, continue to write your congressman and your representatives and, you know, talk to the state reps and the state congressmen, because the more they get flooded with that stuff, the more they might open up their eyes and see that it could be a good deal and not something that they need to keep it all out. And speaking of a good deal, uh, Ohio, I think, is ready for some voting on new laws and new rules. Let me back up here and see if I can find that. Uh, no, I can't. No, I don't know where that is. Well, maybe it was on Facebook. Let me let me check Facebook and see if it was on Facebook that I saw. But Ohio, I believe. Okay, Facebook, open up here and let's see what you got. Uh, boy, when you just flip to Facebook, it doesn't do it real fast, does it? Uh, 
and all sorts of new stuff. That's the thing with Facebook. You can't just leave something there and expect to see something happening with it because it doesn't. Facebook throws all this stuff up in front of it and you can never find it. Ah. But uh, I believe it's Ohio. I, I want to say it's Ohio, but I may be very wrong. I'm not sure. Uh, Illinois, Ohio, something like that. I can't I can't find it right now. Freethegrapes.org saying if you live in those states, contact your congressman and your representatives. Tell them that you want direct shipping available and to stop some of the antiquated laws. And Oh, here I did find it. Delaware. De- oh, boy, I was way off, wasn't I? Delaware wine lovers. He says, for 10 years, the assembly has considered winery direct shipping but has chosen to continue the archaic ban. This year, you're even closer than ever. So take two minutes to personalize the message from freethegrapes.org to your state lawmakers to remove that flaw and tell them to support House Bill 165 coming to a vote on June the 5th. Delaware. If you live in Delaware, do this. Do this now. Go to freethegrapes.org. You can click on that, and it will give you the link so you can just sign the letter that they have, or you can write your own personal one or however you want to do it. But there is a vote coming up on June the 5th, House Bill 165, that could let direct shipping happen in your state. So, Delaware, do that. The more letters they get, and it works too, believe me. It works when people do it. I talk to different people, and you know, it's just—it's amazing. If enough of you do that, then they look at it and they take care of it. So, Delaware, readthegrapes.org, get in there and do your thing. All right. Now let's see what else. Okay, this is. Uh, let me cover. One more thing here, and then I think I'm going to close for tonight. We've talked about droughts going on all over the place and how droughts are affecting different areas and all, but there is another drought taking its toll on South Africa. It is the worst drought in living memory, they're saying, in South Africa's Western Cape, producing the grape harvest and adding pressure to the region's centuries-old wine um, because of the lack of grapes. The latest report says that wine production was down 15% from last year, which was down. Uh, this is going to be a shortfall of 170 million liters and it's going to cause prices to raise by as much as 11% because of the drought. Um, the wine sector in that part in South Africa dates back to, oh, the early 1650s, uh, first brought over by the European settlers, and, the, and employs 300,000 people directly and indirectly with a $3 billion hit to the economy in 2015. The drought, uh, which has been declared by the government there, 
in the uh, main wine producing region outside of Cape Town. Uh, it's uh, affecting the grape crops tremendously. It's also decimated the wheat crops, uh, apple, pear, and grape exports, which most of it go to Europe. It's affected those. The uh, amount of land that's been used for grapes over the last decade has shrunk by 9% because of the continuing type drought that's going on there. Um, it's uh, they're blaming on global warming. Uh, wine output fell to its lowest in 60 years due to unfavorable weather. Uh, and uh, it's a uh, slight increase in some areas, but overall it has uh, come down a lot in production. Uh, it's a Major east of Cape Town, major tourist attraction. Visitors go there and visit and do wine tastings every year. And the crops and the wines have been affected because of the historic drought. So South Africa, Cape Town, South Africa area. So if you're planning a trip there, then keep that in mind. And that's it. I think I'm going to end it for tonight. A couple of reminders. Today, Red Nose Day, and tomorrow, Red Poppy Day, and then Monday, Memorial Day. So be safe if you're traveling on the weekend. Be sure you're safe out there. Yeah. Yep, it's a uh, the big weekend. Very very big. Uh, not sure about maybe traveling, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be busy out there. So, yeah, careful. Uh, it is almost 8 o'clock. Oh. Uh, we hmm? You got one I got something to point out here. Uh, Paso Ropos, downtown Paso Ropos, is having a uh, wineries releases video series. Uh, starts on uh, what's well, already started. The first one is started on May 17th, and you can subscribe to it. And watch the videos that talks about the different wineries and the 14 sub-AVAs within the greater Paso Ropos wine ring region and uh, all sorts of stuff there. So uh, that's coming up. I'll see if I can't put this link onto our Facebook page here. So uh, you can uh, click on it and see that. But uh, videos for Paso Ropos is uh, coming up there. Then Waltz Vineyard Estate is having a dinner uh, coming up on Tuesday the 12th at 6.30. Uh, Walsh Vineyard Estates is located within, in uh, Pennsylvania, Mannheim, Pennsylvania. Uh, they are uh, it's a four course wine pairing dinner prepared by executive chef uh, Limited seating. It is $75 uh, tax and gratuity not included. The menu first course uh, uh, jumbo lump crab avocado with uh, Sauvignon Blanc. Second course strawberry and goat cheese salad, baby spinach, uh, balsamic vinaigrette with a 2017 Stego rose. Third course. Rosemary Dijon glazed lamb chops with whipped purple potatoes, asparagus uh, served with a cherry tree Merlot 2014. Fourth course, dark chocolate mousse pie 
Raspberry Chantilly Creme served with a 2014 Waltz Crowswood Cabernet. So, if you are in the area, if you're traveling in the area, this is coming up on June the 12th at Windridge Farm, or I'm sorry, yes, at Windridge Farm uh, at Waltz Vineyards and Winery. So, keep that in mind. And then one more, Henry River. Uh, oh, yeah. Henry River has a May special. Buy any two bottles of their Amber Days wine for $24. That's uh, 25% off. That will continue through the end of the month. And they also just released their peach wine for the year. So uh, that is available also. And then they've got specials, uh, other specials coming up in June. So there you go. I just, for all of you wineries out there, if uh, you want to be on the program, and we'll put you on the list, and I'll continue to update on it just like I did these three here. These I get emails from them because they were on the program. So, yes, they were. There you Seventy-five dollars. Uh, that's not a bad deal for a four-course uh, wine deal, uh, wine dinner. That's that's not a bad deal for um, what and you get. I mean, wine with every course and all that. Yeah, that is yeah. that is really yeah. a, a good price and. Yeah. Award-winning chef and all that in there, and it, it is a good deal. That, that would be fun. Yeah. That, you know, so yeah, awesome. You're right. That is right. a good good deal. Pennsylvania. Yeah. If you, we Very might cool. have to fuel up the company jet fly up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, we uh, try that. <laughs> oh, but you've been ill and you can't fly, so we'll have to. Nope. Uh, and. Uh, I just have myself that coming. Um, yeah, we will. Yeah. Uh, and and Ray River, that's another good deal at uh, for two bottles of wine there. That's that's uh, that's a good deal as well. So, um, yeah, and very good. Days. It's, it's a nice mm. wine. So. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, we will uh, close the show for uh, this week, and we will return uh, next Thursday. That's May the thirty first. And wow, I mean, this is just flying by. All right. Um, yeah, <laughs> May the thirty first. And um, we will uh, see you all next week. Thanks for uh, tuning in and uh, enjoy wine and um, uh, be safe uh, this weekend. And uh, yes, yeah, we'll, we'll see you all next week. I appreciate it. Thank you. See, see you next week. Be safe. Yep. Right, thank you. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. All About Wine.